Welcome to the Resonate Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Jacob. So we're going to do a sermon series. So for three weeks um, in this passage, 1 Samuel 17. And, and it's got three main parts. And it addresses the giants which are often in our lives. And they're the giants that are fear, the giant that is failure, and the giant that is frustration. And the whole premise of this series is based around the fact that in the Bible, we see the story of David and Goliath. And as we read through it, we see the giant named Goliath has stalled the journey of God's people. He's like this roadblock. You know, this is his army that are marching to where God has purposed them, where God has destined them to take this land, to go and do wonderful things. But all of a sudden, they're just stuck. And in front of them is a giant. And the truth is we all have giants in our lives. And sometimes they're over in the hills, but sometimes those giants are right in front of our path. And often we get stalled in our spiritual walks. And these giants are just standing there and they're mocking us and they're challenging us and they're they're taunting us. And they block the path that God has placed for us to walk upon. So just like the Israelites, there's giants often blocking our journey where God wants to take us. And if we don't kill them, the truth is we're going to end up marrying them because we come stuck with them until death do us part. So that's the whole premise of this sermon series. Kill the triplets before they marry you. Let's pray. Father God, as we unpack some of 1 Samuel 17, as we look at the story and as we apply it, to the giants that are in our world. So I just pray that you open our hearts, open our lives. Let us be real and honest with the giants that we're facing so that with your help that we can kill them and we can kill them dead and that they won't roadblock our journey and they won't stop us from reaching the purpose and plans that you have for our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Just a quick shout out. Gabe and Narelle have launched God is Social. And um, it's basically a, um, a, a ministry slash business that helps churches um, get better with their online stuff. That's a huge area that churches need to tread into in the future. And I just wanted to shout out, because when people in our church do significant things, I think we need to honour that and I think we need to celebrate that. So let's give them a round of applause, because a lot of work. Now on December the 13th, 2008, at around about 2.30 p.m., we had cyclonic winds ruin our planned wedding ceremony on a perfectly set-up beach. I mean, we had 20 Balinese flags, you know, the big five-metre white ones, all um, in the ground in a row down the aisle, and we had chairs with the nice covers all over them, and they're just blowing over into the ocean. We had our musicians who were set up on a sandstone cliff edge and um, a one metre sandstone rock fell and landed right next to one of our uh, musicians, Esther, who was here a few weeks ago. And, um, and so all this stuff that we'd planned, all this stuff that we'd organised, it just, everything just went crashing down. The day was crazy. And so we had to reschedule our ceremony for 20 minutes later in an indoor venue. And uh, the truth is, at the end of the day, it was all good. We, we did what we went to do. We went and set our promises to each other before God and others. And Kezia and I got married. And see, when we got married, Kezia and I chose that we would become one. 
we were two individuals and we'd get married and we became one. And things change when you get married. It wasn't just Jacob Muslim anymore and Kezia Haley Rael Prattley anymore. We became Mr. and Mrs. Jacob and Kezia Muslim. And that's who we are now and for the rest of our lives. And so much changed and we were influenced by each other in so many areas and we became and are becoming the product of what you see today. Kezia took my last name and uh, that's a good thing and I'm sorry for the feminists who don't like that. Um, but she also agreed biblically to submit to me as the leader of the marriage. And I agreed to love her with like top shelf love, with love that, that Jesus describes as, you know, husbands love your wives as, as cross loves the church. So that's top shelf love. It's not, not just okay love, it's, it's like next level. It's high love. And the biblical picture of marriage is simple. A man and a woman in love get married and they form this new identity because they become one and the husband leads a team of two equals, but he leads. That's the way the Bible has it. And an interesting side note around that is I'm really thinking a lot through leadership and church leadership and what qualifies a person to lead, but also what makes someone a leader. And as I'm thinking and learning and reading, the first step in deciding if someone's a leader is do people follow them? If yes, they are a leader at some level, and if not, they're probably not necessarily a leader. But good leaders influence people. Um, many want to follow them, and, and lesser leaders seem to have less people that want to follow them. And so if in a marriage is defined um, by the Bible, the husband is a leader, the wife follows in some way, shape and form, and she then some way, shape or form becomes like him, influenced by him. And it also happens the other way around, that the husband will also become to a certain degree like the wife. And so in marriage or perhaps a better picture in, in family DNA, the whole family becomes this one identity. They, they share this, these attributes, the way of doing things. And it's like, you, you know, we often generalise and go, oh, that's just the Muthsams. That's how they are. Or that's just the, the Johnsons. Or that's just, that's who they are. It's a way of identifying people because of the actions and characteristics, because they become similar in a family environment. Someone might say, I saw this family walking down Upper Street and they were well-behaved, friendly, extremely fit and good-looking. Oh, that's just the Muslims. <laughs> now, in a previous church that I was in, we had a family that used to always turn up late to church. I'm talking back in the Lutheran church days, so don't get offended, anyone who might listen to this online from Leeton. Um, and of course, we don't have any families like that in this church who turn up late all the time. Uh, and I won't reveal their last names in case they're listening, Timmy Lupke. Um, but we'll call them the Johnsons. Now, the Johnsons were a great Christian family, right? They, they really were. And, and all the kids were in love with Jesus and now, to this day, are in love with Jesus and they serve faithfully as grown adults in the various churches. However, they were always late. You know, and, and they weren't just late and sneak down the back and, and no one knows. They'd sit second row. So, so they'd, they'd turn up really late and sneak in second row. You can't sneak in. Everyone's like, oh, there's, there's the Johnsons. <laughs> and, and so I thought it was like the parent thing, right? I thought that's just how the parents are. But what happens is the parents are leaders. And so as the kids got older and got their own cars, you think, oh, that's all right. They'll, they'll turn up earlier. Timmy will be on time. 
But no, it was like the parents turn up second song and, and then the, the oldest fella turns up third song and then it's, it's halfway through communion and the last two just, just rattle in. Now they all have different methods to church, getting to church, but the result's still the same. They're all late. Something in the family DNA and culture allowed for that action to take place. Now in marriage and in family, there's an identity and a DNA that evolves and is bred. It's a family culture that defines every family's future. And your lives and actions are lived out through that. Where you get in life is a result of your actions, your DNA and your character as a family. And so on December 13th, 2008, somewhere around 3pm, Kezia and I were married and we became what you see today, the Muthsams. Now that was my second marriage. It was my first physical marriage, but my second marriage. Because at conversion, when I gave my life to Jesus, I married faith. Because the Bible says that we become the bride of Christ. And so as a Christian, as part of the church, as part of Christ's bride, my DNA, my nature and identity change spiritually, and my actions also should change, both physically and spiritually. So if you're part of the church, if you've given your life to Jesus, you're the bride of Christ. So as a Christian, you can say, I'm married to my faith. And the truth is, too many times we cheat on that marriage, on our faith marriage, when we have an affair with the giant of fear, when we have an affair with the giant of failure, and when we have an affair with the giant of frustration. And church, we need to kill the triplets before we marry them. And so the point of this sermon series that we're going to spend the rest of this month in is that there are giants in our lives. And in general, there's three big ones. They're the triplets. They're from the same family, similar in nature, similar in DNA with different personalities. And when we entertain them, they cling to us. And after a while, it's like we're no longer brides of Christ, married to faith. We end up allowing the giants to marry us. And those are the giants of fear, the giants of failure, and the giant of frustration. And let me tell you, from experience, you either kill them or they end up marrying you. And it's an abusive marriage. It's an arranged marriage by the devil himself. And unless you choose not to enter it, you're going to end up there. And when you end up there, it alters your identity. It affects your actions and it breeds other giants which in turn can affect you also. And, they, and you don't marry them because you love them. You don't marry them because you want to, but because they're leaders. Because they're powerful and they're good leaders and we know leaders influence and so they get people to follow them. And then you start to become like them. And the point is that things will creep into our lives And we allow them to intimidate us and taunt us and to kill the things that God has for us. And they can start big or they can start small. And after a amount of time, after maybe one month, two months, three months, six months, 12 months, however long for you, they become giants. They become roadblocks. And you want to get away, but you just can't. They lead you now. They shape your actions and determine your future. And the truth is, we're in a battle. And something's going to have to die. And so either these giants in your life are going to kill your dreams and kill your marriage to faith, 
or church with the help and power of God and the Holy Spirit working in your lives, you can kill the giants that are fear, failure and frustration. Church, we need to kill the triplets before they marry you. So the giants are slowly sending us towards divorce from our wonderful marriage to faith. And we need to hear this, that most of the other giants in your life, you go, well, you know, there's, there's more than just fear, there's more than just failure, and there's more than just frustration. These other giants are a result when we marry one of the triplets, and all of a sudden we start breeding other giants in that family. The giant of comfort is simply a product of myself combined with the giant of fear. Because the giant of fear breeds the giant of comfort. You know, I won't go tell that person about Jesus because I'm married to fear. And so I end up creating the giant of comfort. Oh, I'm happy with my faith and I'm too scared to go and share faith with someone else. So I'm just comfortable in what I'm doing. And then comfort grows, becomes a giant. It alters our actions. The giant of anger is a product of myself and the giant of frustration. The giant of anxiety is a product of myself and the giant of failure. Church, we need to stop breeding giants. And we do this by killing the triplets. So we're going to go through 1 Samuel 17. And I'm going to summarise it today and I'm going to give you a, a bit of homework to go and read through it because we're going to spend a month in it. So go read through it, memorise it, know it. But if I was to read it out loud right now, it would take us 17 minutes. And I don't know if you just want to hear me reading out the Bible for seven minutes. Some might. I'm not going to. Bad luck. So the Philistine army and the Israelites are getting ready for battle. You know, if you've read your Old Testament, like it's like they're just always fighting. Just every single week. It's just like, let's have a fight. Okay. And they're on opposite hills. They're camped, primed, and ready for battle. And before the fight, the Philistines, like champion Goliath, they unveil this monster. It's like, you want to fight us this week? Welcome, here's Goliath. And according to the story, Goliath is like this giant, obviously, but the Hebrew translation says Goliath was nine foot six inches. And, and that's tall. I'm like five nine with high heels on. So it's like one and another 80% of me. Probably a little bit less muscle than me, but... Um, a lot uglier and a lot scarier than me. And Goliath is purpose um, for battle. He's just, he's like, you know, you were born for a time such as this. Goliath was born for a time such as that. Like he's, he's, he's nine foot. Like he's muscly, he's ugly, he's just ready to fight. Like it's what he's born to do. And Goliath goes, well, rather than, you know, you guys fight us and there's 100,000 people out in the field and 30,000 are dead, why don't we have like a battle of the champions, just the heavyweight title fight? And so he steps forward and he, and he issues a challenge. He says, why don't one-on-one, man-on-man, someone come and fight me? And, and it's, it's pretty simple. It saves manpower. Both the armies are going, well, yeah, I guess so. We, we don't want to have thousands and thousands of people die. Uh, let's just let a couple of alpha males just go head to head. So each morning, and, and so the stipulation was that the losers would then become the servants of the other team. So one on one fighting for the freedom of your whole army. And so each morning, um, they got up, and Goliath saying, like, "Who's going to fight me today? I just want one person." And each morning, he's taunting them, "Come on, who's going to fight me?" So every morning. For 40 days, 
Goliath stands and says, who's going to be man enough? Who's going to have the balls to stand up and fight me today? Come on. You soldiers, you're trained for this. Come and fight. Come and do what you're meant to do. And he's taunting them. He was speaking trash against the Israelite army, against the army of God. So he was ultimately challenging God, not just the Israelites. He's trash-talking God and the Israelite army. And along comes David. Now, David, we know David was a shepherd boy. He was out in the field. He wasn't as strong and old enough yet like his brothers. He wasn't trained as a soldier. And he, um, he goes there. He's delivering food. He's like a pizza boy. But he's delivering cheese and biscuits for his brothers, something just to give him a bit of energy, maybe give him a bit of courage to go and fight Goliath. And he must have just happened to um, hear be walking past at the time when Goliath's coming out and he's trash-talking the opposite army. And he goes, hang on, you don't speak about my God like that. And so David went to Saul and said, you know what, I, I want to I fight this guy. I'll do this. I'll take the challenge. And, and Saul's questioning David's skills. And David quickly tells him, you know what, I've, I've killed lions, I've killed bears. Like when I've been shepherding, I can, I, I can do this. i got this. And Saul, you know, reluctantly, I guess, was, I don't want to fight him. No one else wants to fight him. I may as well give the cheese boy a go fighting him. So when David, and then not only that, then David just decides, I'm not going to wear this armour that, that Saul's given me because this armour's too, too heavy and too restrictive. I'm just going to go out there, no armour, which is, you know, a little bit arrogant. I like it. And when David goes out to meet Goliath, the giant Goliath must be, what? Is this a joke? Like, what? What's going on here? And they exchange some trash talk. It's WWE. It's UFC. It's, it's like a, a boxing promo. And, and, and Goliath's saying, I'm going to feed your corpse to the birds and the beasts. And David replies with, oh, yeah? Well, your mama... Oh, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> I'm going to chop off your head. That's what he said. I'm going to chop off your head kind of thing. And, and Goliath, you know, goes from, this is a joke, to, you, you don't say that to me. I'm a, I'm a giant. I'm a warrior. You don't tell me you're going to chop off my head. And so Goliath went from this jovial position of no one's going to fight me, this arrogance to, oh, now you're going down, kid. And so um, Goliath, angry, removes his helmet, potentially out of arrogance, or going, well, if this little boy doesn't need armour, maybe I don't need armour. He drops his shield and he charges at David. Can you picture it? You know, nine foot something, five foot something. And David, you know, probably hiding his sling that whole time, pulls out a stone, swings it, and with his slingshot, we know the story, nails Goliath. Goliath drops to the ground, runs up, grabs his sword, chops off his head as he said he was going to do. Victory. Incredible. Against the odds. David returns to Saul in a weird kind of way. and I don't really get it, but the king doesn't even recognise David. Maybe it's because of 40 days of just fear and frustration and, and this sense of failure because I'm the king Saul and I, and I haven't been able to beat this giant and I, I'm made for this and I can't do it and I've been roadblocks. doesn't remember who David is and he asked his you know, sidekick, Abner, who David is. And then that's the end of the chapter. That's where the chapter leads us. And so we're going to spend three weeks in this after today. Three more sermons. So please go home, read it, make sure I'm not just making this up. Study it, and then let's hear from God in our own lives together through this. Now, just like David and the Israelites had this giant 
stopping them from heading into the perfect destiny that God had planned for them, you and I are in the same position. And it's interesting that even though we all know the story of David and Goliath, there are other giants the Bible tells us about that go down as well. This is not a one-off, just the Bible just gives one example, like a token, you can kill a giant example. There's multiple giants we see. In 1 Chronicles 1 verses chapter 20 from verse 4, again it's the Israelites at war against, guess who? The Philistines. And one dude kills a giant. His name was Sebekai, and he killed a Philistine giant named Sipal. And then there's another battle at Elhanan, and another giant, the, the brother of Goliath. It's probably not a great um, sort of period of time for the parents of Goliath. They lost Goliath and they lost his brother. Goes down in battle. Um, verse 6 talks about this huge man who had six fingers and six toes. And he was a descendant um, from Rapha. And the Bible again says that this giant taunted Israel. And Jonathan, David's um, brother, killed him. Second Samuel verse 21, we meet another giant named Ishot, Ishbai. No, you can read it for yourself. It's pretty hard to say. Another descendant of Rapha, who was a giant who was going to kill an old, weak and exhausted David. But another dude come along, who I can't pronounce his name either, came and killed the giant. Now, why do I tell you that? See, four other giants other than Goliath went down. Goliath is not a one-off giant. Giants are real. And you're either facing one now, or you're going to face one. And just as it's precedent in the Bible, we need to kill the giant before the giant kills the plans that God has for your life. And in 1 Samuel, verse 17, just as we see the physical giant Goliath, we also see the spiritual and emotional giants that the people of God faced. And church, these triplets are the same triplets that we're facing in battle today. And I'm going to introduce them to you now, just briefly, and then we're going to spend a whole sermon on each and every one of them. And, and we're going to offer a time of prayer at the end of each of the next three sermons. And you know, maybe it's something you're facing and you, you may not feel comfortable um, having church pray with you, but I pray that at some point when you go, you know what, I'm facing that. That, that giant is roadblocking me or it's breeding other giants that are roadblocking me. I just pray that together we can ask God to help you kill that giant and kill it dead. Let me introduce you to the triplets this morning. And we start with the giant of fear. See, the army was shaking in their boots. And you think, that's crazy. These guys are trained for battle. They're trained for war. If you're a soldier, you know, you're going to come up against opposition. But maybe not an opposition this big, not an opposition this scary. And they're shaking in their boots. Why? Because they had fear of the situation, of the pain and of the possible outcomes and the possibilities that their future might entail if they survive and are taken captive. So the giant of fear was stopping them winning the battle. The giant of fear was stopping them even going out and doing what they were trained to do. They were frozen with fear. Now, these are soldiers, you know, and they couldn't even go out and do their day job because the giant of fear was roadblocking them. And the question that, that we can ask ourselves is, what has fear stopped you from doing this week, this last year, tomorrow? What is fear stopping you from doing right now? We're going to talk about the giant of fear in the next three weeks. 
The second giant that I want to introduce you to is the giant of failure. It's a big and it's an ugly and it's a scary giant. Can you imagine the, what was going through the minds of these soldiers? These guys who had, who had victory. They've won many battles before. You know, they've probably got medal after medal after medal. They've taken on so many different nations and won. Yet I don't want to fight Goliath. Will you fight Goliath? No, I'm not going to fight Goliath. But what if I lose? What if I lose? Church, what has the giant named failure stopped you from doing? You know, I won't share Jesus with someone because what if they don't get saved? What if they laugh at me? You know, what if they persecute me? I, I won't ask about, you know, a promotion at work because what if they say, what if the boss says no? I won't follow my dreams because what if I don't make it? I won't start that business because what if it fails? What has the giant named failure stopped you from attempting? The third giant we meet in this series is a giant of frustration. And to be honest, that's maybe the giant that, that I flirt with from time to time. See, 40 days. 40 days, Goliath mocked them. He taunted them. He berates them. Come on, Israelites. You think you're so tough? You think you can conquer all these different lands? Just come and fight me, one person. What, you're too scared, you chicken? Apparently he did that. 40 days. You know, you could probably put up with that the first day. You could probably put up with that the second day. By the third day, you're frustrated because I can't beat this guy. I think I can't beat this guy. I'm a soldier. I'm out here to fight. Like, you know, when you ring your wife of an evening and say, oh, how'd work go today, darling? How many, you know, people did you beat in a battle? None. We didn't get to the battlefield today, darling. Well, why not? It'd be frustrating, right? I can tell you why. When you read it, you see the brothers were so affected by frustration that their perception of everything became warped. You know, David, their brother who I imagine they loved, came along with great food, with treats, you know. It wasn't going to be army rations that evening. It was going to be cheese and biscuits and all wonderful produce. And instead of saying, well, thanks, brother. Thanks for bringing that here. It's what are you doing here, you punk kid? You don't belong on the battlefields. Because they're acting out of frustration. They're speaking out of frustration. They had married the giants and it was breeding others, such as anger, such as disrespect and hate. What about your life? What has frustrated you to the point that it's become a giant in your world, that it's actually changed your perspective of things? So we're going to look at the triplets over the next three sermons. And I pray that God highlights to us what giants we flirt with, maybe what giants we're married with, maybe what giants we're breeding in our lives. So that with the help of God, we can kill him and kill him dead. Now in closing, let me just give two quick thoughts from this passage of scripture in 1 Samuel 17 that will shape this series called Kill the Triplets. And point number one is, I don't think we're David in this story. 
You know, when you read a story and you search a meaning and you ask, who am I in this story? And, you know, and we've all heard it preached that you're David in this story, that you've got, you know, in your quiver you've got five stones and, and one's for courage, one's for this, one's for that, one's for something else. When we look at it like that, I think it's kind of a man-centred approach. It's like this self-help garbage. It's like Oprah Winfrey, like, you can do this. Truth is that the giants are bigger and stronger and uglier than most of you. And can I tell you something? I think Jesus is David in the story. He comes amidst our fear. He comes amidst our frustrations. And he comes amidst our failure. And he kills the giants for us. I reckon we're, we're one of two characters in the story. We're either um, Saul's armour David trying Saul's armor on. We're like trying to do this in our own strength, like put it, put on some armor, put on some protection, and just go out like everyone else and just just battle away. Or maybe we're one of the Israelite army soldiers, stuck by fear, our worldview flooded with thoughts of failure, and acting out of frustration. The truth is, God has a better way than for us trying to kill the giants in our own strength in our own human terms. And so the first point of the series is you can't and won't beat the giants on your own. But be encouraged that Jesus has come and our Jesus can and will kill the giants with us and for us. And point two is, as you read this and as I read this, I sense that David was only concerned with God's glory. I don't think he did it just so that he could put another, you know, another trophy on his cabinet. You know, so he's, got, he's got the lion head on his hunting wall and he's got the bear and he just wants a giant. David was motivated because the giant was attacking the glory and purpose of God and his people. David didn't have to be there. He wasn't a soldier. He was a shepherd. He wasn't conscripted. He was this cheese boy, the pizza guy, the gopher. And the giant just happened to be mocking God and God's people when he got there and he said, I'm not going to put up with that. You might be bigger than me, but you're not bigger than my God. So he came up and he saw the giant mocking the people of God, the purpose of God, the power of God. And he said, you know what? I'm not going to stand for that. You know, and why was he like that when everyone else in the Israelite army was not like that? Maybe it's because the Bible talks about that when David was in the fields, he was with God. He built relationship and understanding with God. And he was simply focused and purpose and walking in and with God. You know, when we are close to God, we are most naturally going to serve his purpose and live to bring him glory and fame. So let me leave you with this thought until next week. What giants in your life are currently blocking you from living a life that is fully revealing God's glory? What giant is it? Or what giants are you married to? Whatever it is, can we take these next few weeks and kill those giants with the help of our David, our Jesus? You know, for most of us, it's one, two or three of the triplets. And then we've allowed them to marry us. We've allowed them to become family. And we're breeding other giants, which affect not just us, but others. Church, it's time that we kill the triplets, kill them dead, and move forward into what God has for our lives. Let me pray. And the music team might come up and we'll just do one more song.
Father God, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for your word to us. So real, so relevant, so wonderful. Lord, thank you that we don't have to face the triplets on our own. That you came, that you're here, that you're willing to kill the things that are standing in the way of what you have for us, what you purposed us for. Father God, I pray that in these next few weeks, you highlight those giants in our lives and that with your help, we kill them and we kill them dead and we move forward into everything that you have for us. In your mighty name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Podcast. Jesus, my love, my God.